I want to approach this day a little differently today than maybe would be normal. It does, above perhaps everything else, picture the time of the first resurrection when Christ returns. But even as I made the comment about the inner life, let's go back in history and move forward a little bit. Uh, we have to get out of here by 3 o'clock, so about 5 minutes or 10 minutes still, somebody throw a shoot at me, that would be probably a good thing to do. Uh, just sure it's not too spiked. Uh, but let's go back and look at what happened. Adam and Eve sinned against God. God basically died out of them. He had been there with them on a daily basis, and been probably for as long, maybe only a day, in fact. But when they sinned, God in them, or God with them, departed. They were kicked out of the garden. Prior storms and brambles came up all over the earth. The nature of the animals changed, became wild, unruly, and even life-threatening for mankind. And from that man, Adam, until Christ, the world was essentially dead from God. And there were a few revivals. By the time mankind had been around for nearly a thousand years, Noah had been working on the ark for a hundred years, and he was about the only one left alive who had much to do with God. He didn't have been a preacher of righteousness, but the knowledge of God and the following of God had essentially died out as far as man is concerned. Now God then looked down and found one man. One man of all the thousands, perhaps even by that time hundreds of thousands or millions who were walking the earth and found only one that he felt he could work with. So he addressed him. And Abraham lived his life did the things God told him to do, went where God told him to do, found the city that he was supposed to find. And God made Abraham promises. All kinds of promises. The land that he walked, that he saw, would be his. And he told him, look north, south, east, and west. A lot at that point had gone east. And yet right after that, God told him, look north, south, East and west, all four directions, he says, the land that is there, including where Lot went, will be yours. He promised him that it would be given to his seed forever. There was a slight problem, however, and that was he didn't have any seed. And he died without seed. Did he not? It said, he and Sarah... And the eight hundred or ninety, I think, were dead. Now they were still walking around, but both of them were incapable of producing children. So as far as progeny, children, grandchildren, and seed forever, nothing. Now the average person would begin to question. God made these promises. Now why don't we have children? Why don't we have grandchildren? This has gone on for a long, long time now. 
Sarah's passive. She's all dried up, wrinkled up, bent over, whatever. I'm good at that. That way. Could have been easy to get discouraged, couldn't it? I think, well, God promises us, you know, it isn't going to happen. We've waited long enough. Sound familiar at all? We're beginning to get impatient. We're beginning to get unfocused. We're beginning to lose our zeal and our fervor. We're thinking, oh, man, this isn't ever going to happen. And then, one night, they changed. And they had a son Isaac. And then they had more children. Well, they didn't, but she died and he did. But Isaac was the son of promise. Through whom it would come. So, God's promises to Abraham came that close to dying out. And they had to be revived or resurrected, if you will, in order to have a child. See, resurrection has synonyms. Revived. Renewed, uh, back to life. You can have a lot of different words that mean essentially the same thing. So, through a resurrection with Abraham and Sarah, God created new life. And that continued with Isaac and Jacob and his children. And Israel began to multiply and finally became as the sand of the sea. That's not where we are today. Lots and lots of us. Now, Israel's sin was cut again from God. And it got worse and worse and worse. They went into captivity in Egypt or Israel. They went into captivity to Babylon, ultimately. He's Judah. And they almost died out again. By the time Christ came to the earth and life was reborn in him, true spiritual life, there wasn't much left. You had the Jews who didn't follow really anything of God. And he had to begin a new life. And he started it through the church. Began the church. You know that church pretty much died? Didn't it? By 180, within 70 years after he started the church, roughly, the church was essentially dead again. Now, there may have been a few who survived, and maybe that thread of believers continued all through the Middle Ages. It has been thought that because of the scripture that says the gates of the grave will not prevail against the church. So we thought that there had to be a continuation somewhere, somehow, some way of at least a few, but maybe that is true. I do not know that for sure. But it was essentially dead. And then Reverend Armstrong was called in 1927. Interestingly, there were some believers around. They kept the Sabbath. They didn't keep the holy days. They didn't keep much of God's way, but they had, I guess, a little life. He said they were Sardis, which was dead. 
of a few names they knew that are still alive. So the church had almost died out again, and then God revived it through Herbert Armstrong. I think it's kind of interesting, just as a side note, that there were supposed to be about 4,000 years before Christ was born, and nobody knows the exact year of creation that's been bandied about, and scholars have argued over it within a range of about 1,500 years. But in 27 A.D., Christ began his ministry. wasn't the time of his birth, wasn't the time of his death, but it was the time of the spiritual revival where he started to work. And Herbert Armstrong was called 1,900 years later to the year. I think that is quite interesting. Now, some have speculated, and it's the cycle that we're on, the 2027 might be the outside date at which Christ would return. Not trying to set a date, but according to Ezekiel, the best we understand about the tithing cycle, the third, third tithe in the year of release of the seventh year, the Jubilee would be in 2027, exactly 100 years after Herbert Armstrong was called to begin the inside work. Hosea 6.2 says that after two days he will revive us. And the third day I think he'll bring life again and we'll walk in the sight of Christ. So two days of equaling a thousand years will be from Christ beginning a new resurrected church, spiritual resurrection in his ministry. Another one 1900 years later and then a hundred years later Christ returning to begin another spiritual work. So it works out after two days, if that be the date. I don't know that it is. Some of you might say, 2027, you got to be kidding them. I don't know if you're around. Uh, you might give an eagle to wings and legs of the deer, healing and all the things that can happen. But it isn't that far away. That's only, what, 14 years? About Now let me, let's just say that that is the outside. And he may cut time short. I don't know how much, but he says he, he says he will cut it short. How much I did not know. But if you start counting back from 2027, you have the seventh year of release, and then you have the 50th year, that'd be 49 plus the 50th. If that's 2027, the seventh year of the third high cycle would be 2026. And uh, you have the day of the Lord and seven last plagues at the end of the tribulation. The tribulation is three and a half years too, so you count back a year from the resurrection when the seven last plagues start. Now we're back to about 2024 20, or 5. I might get these numbers mixed up, but it's, I'm just giving you an idea. Then you count back three and a half years of tribulation. 25, 24, 23, I think I came up with 22 and a half, I may be getting things up a little bit. Um, and then about a year and a half for the order to build Jerusalem being given, lock that off and you come back to about 2020. We're about to enter 2013. 
Now, there's a lot of work that has to be done and a lot of events that have to occur. Villages have to be built. A temple has to be built. Uh, we only have maybe seven years if you're using 2027 as an outside date. So this thing's got to get started pretty soon in order to get everything done that has to be done in that amount of time. Now I bring this up because the church under Herbert Armstrong essentially again has died out. After his death, it wasn't very long until it began to splinter and slipped. People began to wrangle and argue about this doctrine, that doctrine. They began to get discouraged and frustrated, uh, like the parable. Some fell on stony ground, some fell on the thorns, you know, some fell on a rock, right out by the sun, and some fell in good ground. And it appears that that is precisely true of the church. So we are watching the church in its death fit right now. It's dying out again. Almost gone. God says he will have another revival with the two witnesses and the remnant of the church. Where 10% will respond and we'll have a new spiritual beginning all over again. Most everybody else is going into the tribulation probably have to die there, unfortunately. Those who are faithful and true to God and revive from the lackadaisical, half-asleep, half-hearted approach that we had and show life. Resurrection, revival, renewal will be used to be part of the final work of God before the end of the age. Now let's understand this a little bit in terms of our own spiritual lives. Baptism, we understand, represents death, right? We go down into, as heard our song termed it, the watery grave. If they held us under very long, the bubbles would come up, and that would be the end of us. Then we come up, we're allowed to live and breathe, but we still don't have life. Not life eternal, we're still just human. We just symbolically die. Then we have the laying on of hands, which represents a new life, a new beginning. A resurrection, if you will, of the old man to live. So when we start talking resurrection in terms of this day, we may normally think of the ultimate resurrection when Christ returns, but that's not the only one. There's the second resurrection, there's even the third. So resurrection can cover more than just the first resurrection that we normally associate with these recumbents. The trumpets were born on many occasions. But I, I want to bring this down to us, to you and me. Because baptism is that new life that we come to have afterward at laying on hands is an individual matter. Now we may be baptized into the body of Christ and become a member of it and whatever part of the body God places us in in terms of being an arm or a leg or a toenail or whatever. But 
He puts us in the body as he pleases, where he wants us, in terms of our position in the church. Let's go and examine this a little bit. I want to start in Colossians 1. And here, about verse 27. Verse 26. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is to be manifest to his saints. So you see, many generations went by where people did not understand God, didn't know God, that I know his name, but they didn't know him. So the mystery is made manifest to us. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And that mystery is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, we do not have life beyond the physical of ourselves. It is only God's Spirit, Christ in us, which gives us the hope of glory. So, our life, eternally, depends upon Him, doesn't it? Without Him, we have no life. So the spiritual life is what is really important. The physical life comes and goes very rapidly. Any of you who are beginning to age, realize it isn't such a long time. Someone comes to you today. Told they've been married for years. And said, well, that's a long time. And the response was, no, it wasn't. Because it very, very rapidly when you look back. And suddenly you see, oh, what happened to what I see in the mirror? If something happens, it's gone. And it happens, it seems, very rapidly. So we need something eternal. We need something that will last. Something that will always be. That is Christ in us, the hope of glory, of being glorified someday. Mankind and the churches still don't understand that. They still would like to think that they're going to go to heaven and go around on the bottom. We understand we're to become God something and have to be glorified even as Christ is to glorify. But we have to have this mini resurrection within our minds and hearts in order to qualify for that. Quickly, John 10 and uh, verse 34. See where I want to pick it up for sure. So that will do. They have questioned who Christ was and said, Is it not written in your law, I say, you are gods? He's quoting from Psalm 82 6 there. We've quoted that. Are we God yet? Are we still physical? Yes. You're not spirit yet. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit, right? But that potential is within each and every one of us to be God, and it is in there as a 
residual thing from Christ himself. With his spirit in us, living in us, then we have eternal life within us, don't we? We haven't been changed yet, but within those who have been baptized and given God's spirit, Christ is living his life in them, so within their mind and heart is eternal life through Christ's life in us. So the potential is there for us to ultimately truly become God. Via that huge change in the resurrection. Baptism and laying on hands wasn't a huge change in one sense. All the bells and whistles didn't go off, did they? It began as a very small thing. And it is supposed to get more mature and lively as it goes. When a baby is conceived, doesn't amount to much. But when it's still in mama's tummy at about eight months, it kicks and pushes and butts and does everything it can to, I guess, get out of there. But it becomes quite obvious that there's a life there at a certain point when they begin to move around. Well, we have Christ in us. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 9. We've got a warm in here today, and the light of this too, you should be able to sleep quite well. I'll try not to speak too loudly and disturb the peace. Verse 8 of Romans 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We're still human, aren't we? Can we please God? Not as a human being, not as a normal human being, we cannot. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of you. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, referring to baptism, he says, you symbolically died. And you're not living and walking in the flesh in terms of your goals, your purposes, where you're headed, what you're doing. You may still be flesh, but you have the Spirit of God and eternal life in your mind. It has been conceived there. It is growing there. And you will be in the kingdom of God unless somehow you place that Spirit and destroy it from out of your mind. So you already have eternal life dwelling in you. That's why it's so important that we never turn away that we never leave God, that we never give up. Because this is our chance. And once that life is quenched and gone, and the Spirit of God departs from us because we shove it away, then we have lost our opportunity. We must be careful. But we must not live in the wrong kind of fear daily. Oh, what if I do the wrong thing and I lose out? It's a daily struggle. We do do the wrong things sometimes, don't we? We say the wrong things, think the wrong things. All kinds of things happen in our lives that are ungodly. That's when we're trying to walk in the flesh when we're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. 
were supposed to be resurrected from the dead man. What did Paul say? I will turn back there. It's in verse 1531. He said, I die daily. I die daily. He had to crucify the flesh, as he put it another way, daily. Because even though he had the Spirit of God, the old man kept trying to come up out of the watery grave and tried to dominate him. It's hard to keep a bad man dead. To point our two music. Rephrase a saying. We were bad men. It's very hard to keep us dead. We keep trying to come back to life as bad as human. It's hard to walk in the Spirit. It's hard to keep our focus. It's hard to live as Christ lived, to walk as He walked, to think as He thought, and to talk as He talked, to do as He did. It's very difficult for us. But He says that is what the challenge is. It's to keep the old man dead and to be renewed day by day. He says that in another scripture, where is it? Second Corinthians 4, I think, 16, uh, where he says the inner man is renewed day by day. You have to have a resurrection every day. Now, you may think, well, let's just sit around and wait for the resurrection. No, you've got to have one every day. The old man comes up, has to die daily, as Paul did. And you have to resurrect the new life, the new spirit. How do you do that? You go to God in prayer and study and ask Him to help put aside the old man and live anew, to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And it's a daily struggle. He says He gives us a new start every day, and I'm thankful for that. But that's kind of what Paul was referring to. That I have to crucify the self every day of my life. It is not an easy thing to do. Resurrections don't come easy. You ever walk through a cemetery and sat maybe a while? I used to walk through a cemetery a lot when I was debating some things about the future and what I needed to do there in the Carolinas. I could walk the dog out there and nobody really bothered me. Really, really quiet in a cemetery. Not much activity at all. Because there's no resurrection there yet. But we have to resurrect ourselves in the Spirit every day. So if you think the resurrection is something way off in the future, you might already think you got a daily job. Every day, I have to think about that. You know, before I get up, like the fellow said, today I am. Cursed, I haven't sworn, I haven't lied, I haven't stolen, I haven't gossiped. Pretty soon here I'm going to get up. Then the problems start. Well, they can't solve it while you're still laying there feeling like you're okay. So you have to turn to God, pray to God, that He be with you through the day, that He help you control your mind and your thoughts and your words and your actions. So they would be in this resurrection. Not just a once in a lifetime thing. Galatians uh, 6. And there 
verse 8. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we may not. You know, there have been generations of people, not very many, but sporadically through history, there have been a few people here and there, but many, many generations lived, and some of them knew of God, and they read all the scriptures that we read. And you know, they lived, and they lived, and they read that and thought, maybe it'll be in my lifetime. And it never was. They lived until they died and never saw these prophecies fulfilled. Did they need patience? Did they need to be not weary and well-doing? Here we are, the final generation that he's called. He said that here at the end. These things are about to happen. And we do not have to wait until we all die. These things are going to happen before that occurs. Some will, but he says there will still be some left of this generation called and Herbert Armstrong, as I understand it, and I'm right. We'll still be alive and remain when this is all finished. So those people lived to 70, 80, 90 years of age in past generations. Some of them lived go way back, like Abraham, 175 or whatever. And never saw all these promises fulfilled. And yet we tend to grow impatient when we know that this generation is going to see it all. So, even as Paul told the Galatians, we need to consider this as well. Not to be weary, not to think, well, God's promises just aren't coming to pass because all this time has gone by. It hasn't happened yet. I can feel that and see that even with us here. Well, we heard this minor prophets series back in 97 or 8 or 99 or 2000 or whatever you heard it. It started at least in 97. <laughs> All those things Gerald said sure sound good. What happened? They haven't happened yet. Well, some of them have in a small way. But most of it is still just ahead of us. But it would, be, it would get easy to begin to think, well, man, this is going on and on. How do you think Abraham and Sarah felt? This just goes on and on and on. Nothing happens. What we are facing is nothing that people in the past have not faced. When God's time is here and we must trust Him, all this stuff will happen. All of it will happen. He knows the timing, we do not. I can set an outside date, you know, speculate 2027. I don't know if that's the case, and I'm not trying to set dates. I'm just saying that's the furthest date that different ones have come up with that they think it could happen. It couldn't be later than that because if you consider a 6,000 year plan, uh, 4,000 before Christ, and two days of 1,000 years after Christ, you're getting to the outside limit of that. So if that understanding is correct, it can't be too much longer. That's all I'm saying. And we don't have that long to wait, and we're, I think, going to get very busy in the meantime. 
I have some more along those lines, so maybe I'll uh, pass over that and go on to I've already covered some of those. Let's go to Galatians 5. We're right here. I think I already covered one in here, but uh, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one or the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. It's so hard because of us being human to walk in the Spirit and do what we ought to do when everything in our bodies tells us we should do something else. He understood that. He even said the things he didn't want to do, he couldn't do. The things he didn't want to do, he wound up doing. But Paul had a, a daily fight there. Once in a while, I run across somebody and say, Well, it's not difficult for me. I don't have a fight. Not very often do I see that, but once in a while, somebody just has that attitude. Well, this isn't hard. And I think, You don't even know what you don't know. Uh, if you have that attitude, you think this isn't difficult? Is bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ difficult? Well, maybe there's some unusual individuals, but most of us have a daily fight, momentary fight, all the time, to walk in the Spirit. To be in a resurrected, if you will, state for every day. When we're changed in the Spirit, we won't have any problem with that. But as long as we're flesh and we just have the Spirit in us, we still have a problem. That's the difficulty. That's where the work comes. So we're still in trial and error time. We have to get past it. Verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, or envying one another, being jealous, having attitudes one toward another. Let's not be that way. Let's get over that. Let's walk in the Spirit, because Christ does not walk with those attitudes. He doesn't have them. But we as human beings tend to. So it's a constant struggle. We get crosswise with each other, we get attitudes, we impute motives, maybe we see real motives or whatever. We imagine sin, we see sin, and we don't walk together in the Spirit. And we try to walk separately in the Spirit and have great difficulty because he says that our relationship with him is based on our relationship with each other. I keep coming back to that, but that's what I said here. That we're to walk in the Spirit, and all these attitudes of the flesh have to go away. And they don't come easy. It doesn't happen easily. Very difficult. Ephesians 4, 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the center of resurrection. Renewed. Revived. And then you put on the new man, 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, not an air of holiness, not an attitude of, of uh, how would you put it, a promise air, maybe would be a way to put it, where we act like we're righteous, but truly we aren't. So the mask or the facade has to go away and we have to live in true holiness and have the new man. So again, it's a daily resurrection. First Peter 4, verse 6 is really good here. First Peter 4. Verse 6. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now the whole world is spiritually dead. Satan has deceived the whole world. Even those people who claim to know God don't know God. They know there's supposed to be a God, but he says you don't know him unless you keep his commandments. So, most of them say the commandments are not away with. Therefore, they cannot know God because the commandments define God. They define His love. They define His attitude toward others. And if you don't have those, you don't have any true spirituality or true holiness. Tells us back in Isaiah 8 to look to this word, his commandments, and his testimony. His testimony is in here. His commandments are in here. And he says, don't listen to anything else. So, those people are as good as dead. I mean, the whole world. With, with the exception of the few, God has opened the truth to them and given his spirit. Renewed them, or resurrected them from the dead. I think this scripture pretty well proves my point. Because he says all the people out in the world are dead, even though they're walking, they're dead and then walking. Because they do not have the Spirit of God with them. And he gives his spirit to them that obey. Acts 5 29. So unless we begin to obey him, he will not give us the spirit. I think we have it. Unless we're obeying him, he says, I don't give it to you. You have to do that first. So then, only those who have the truth and begin to obey it can have God's spirit. It's that simple. We came from the dead. I was dead in the Methodist church as a boy. Now I'm, I hope, alive in God's church. But I try to continue to live the old man every day of my life. So I have to crucify him and be renewed in spirit and walk in the spirit every day of my life. We all have that challenge ahead of us. this to a little bit different kind of resurrection. 
Go back to Psalm 137 7 for a moment. This is the actual last section of this sermon already. Psalm, what did I say, 137? Let's start verse 6. If I do not remember you, speaking of God in Jerusalem here, mainly Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, if I don't put getting back to Jerusalem and know and understand this in the light of Hebrews 12, 22, and 3, and Galatians 4 as well, that Jerusalem, the church, is the mother of us all, and that Zion and Jerusalem are the church. God reminds that very clearly there. So being in the proper spiritual attitude within the church of God is what our goal and our purpose is, and that needs to be our chief joy, is to be close to God and be a part of his body, of his organism. Remember, O eternal, the children of Eden in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, or destroy it, even to the foundation thereof. And that can mean even the foundation thereof. So that it's completely gone. No vestige of it. No clues of it. Just gone. And that was Eden's attitude. And that's Eden's attitude for Jacob today. And they're going to have the upper hand over us very soon. But Jerusalem was destroyed, wasn't it? Let's go from there to Isaiah 58. Uh, this is a chapter essentially about fasting, which we get to more atonement than we do on trumpets, but I want to skip on down below that. He says if we fast and if we do it with the right attitude and give, serve, and help others, then he says in verse 11, the eternal shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make back your bones. And he shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of you. Now this is an end time prophecy here toward the end of the book of Isaiah. They that are of you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer, or resurrector, if you will, of paths to them to dwell in. So, they did destroy Jerusalem to the foundations. And he says that if we will walk in the Spirit, if we will serve God and have the right attitude toward God and man, that we will be the ones who restore the old waste places. In other words, God is going to put us in the position of resurrecting that which has long been desolate. We have Christ living in us, do we not? God walking in men, through men. And God is a resurrector. He's a builder. He's a restorer. 
And he has restored his spirit within us by divine miracle. That's why we're here today keeping the peace of trumpets. And if he is a creator, a restorer, a resurrector, then we in type should be the same. Restoring the paths to walk in. Renewing God's way upon the earth. Because as we started out, very few people throughout history have ever followed God. It is the exception, not the rule. Few, far between, have resurrected God's way and lived. Now, he has given you and me that opportunity. And I think we need to see it beyond just our baptism, just the indwelling of His Holy Spirit, but to project that to God's purpose and plan for mankind and his purpose and plan in revealing that as an example to the world before Christ even comes back. We must not lose focus on why we are here. We could be somewhere else. In fact, a few years ago, we were somewhere else, weren't we? And God called us here. Not because we're mighty, not because we're smart, not because we're more righteous than anyone else. He needed some bodies who were weak and base and weren't somebody, but just some bodies to establish something. And to put aside the old man and to resurrect our sins. Christ in the church started to die out. It's almost died out. People are falling away by the thousands. People are dying spiritually. They are on very meager rations spiritually. They don't have much food to eat. They don't understand what is going to happen. They don't understand where the church is going. They don't understand what God is doing right now. They don't have much to keep them going, and many of them are quitting. Many of them are just sort of sitting there doing nothing. Now, God has given us knowledge far beyond what most of them have. Not because we're anything, but because He wanted to start small somewhere with something that didn't have any glory and that could ultimately show His glory, not ours, because we have not. As I look out, I don't see much glory here. I do see the Spirit of God in the eyes and minds and mouths of His people here. But we're not much to glory about. We're just fleshly human beings. He's given us a purpose and a reason for being here. Somebody has to repair the breach. Somebody has to resurrect what has been and not only was not until Herbert Armstrong came along, but nearly died out since he died. It has to be restored. And you have to recognize, before you can do that, that that needs to be done. Now, you can't resurrect 
Anybody here but you? You can pray for other people. You might be able to encourage them and give them help in the process. But really, it's between every individual and God. Paul fought a lonely battle, a personal battle, of having to crucify the flesh and renew the inner man day by day. Nobody can do it for you. As Ezekiel put it, if Noah, Job, and Daniel were here, they could only save themselves. They can't save anybody else. Only you can save you. And only you can save you through Christ. So the way it can be done. You can't save the whole body. Just what part of it you are. Now the body needs to work together to help one another. But you can't blame somebody else because you hurt. The arm hurts, it blames the leg. What's the leg's fault? Or if the toe hurts, it blames the head. It's the head's fault. A little group like this, there's trouble and they blame the knee as the physical head of the It's Daryl's fault. If Daryl would do this, and Daryl would do that, and Daryl wouldn't do this, and everything would be fine. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Only you can change you. Only I can change me. Blaming each other or blaming me will not help you. In fact, it will just make the whole body hurt. We have to blame ourselves. You can only resurrect yourself. You are an individual. You have a personal relationship with God in Christ. You're allowed to go before them every day because the veil of the temple was rent. And you have to work on it every day. Now the whole church, to use an example, and I've used it before, blame the rest of the church. It's those way of the seeds. And since everybody considers everybody a lay of sin but them, then nobody changes. Nobody grows. Nobody takes responsibility. And I'm telling you that every one of us here must take personal responsibility. And if we have problems in the body, don't blame anybody but yourself. Don't blame anybody but yourself. I can't believe anybody but myself. We all have to take personal responsibility. If we do that, we can not only resurrect or be a part of the resurrection of the church in the end time and the work of God in the end time, but we can also attain to salvation because it's in us through the Spirit of God. If we let the flesh went out of the spirit that we're in trouble. So we have to be careful of our attitudes every day to be sure that we have the love of God. God loved every individual on the earth, every one of us, so much that he was willing to give his son for everyone, not just a few, but everyone. And we have to love one another in the same way. 
That's what it's all about. It's easy to love self and put self first. It's easy to mollycoddle our attitudes and our approach and condemn someone else because of their attitude and their approach. That's as natural and as human and as carnal and as walking in the flesh as there is. Blaming yourself, changing yourself, and walking in the spirit is about as hard as it gets. That's a fact. Because our our, our reactions, if we don't kill the self at the beginning of the day, and renew the inner man of the spirit of God, then our reaction will be harmful. Our approach will be carnal. Our attitudes will be carnal. And that's why we find ourselves saying things that we shouldn't say, or thinking things we shouldn't think, and doing things we shouldn't do, is because the flesh is winning out over the spirit. So I'm not trying to make this easy. It's not. Resurrection is not easy. I would love to see some people resurrected here in this age, literally. And it may happen because that has been a precedent that God has done in the past. In ages when the spirit was dying out, sometimes he resurrected the physical of you in order that people might take cognizance of the spirit. When Christ died, there was a great earthquake, and quite a few people were resurrected. Now, it was a spiritual thing that was occurring, but God used a physical resurrection as a witness to the physical people there. I found it an interesting thought that Paul preached on midnight. I can't, they've got to get us out of here by three. And then Eutychus fell out of the balcony and died. He resurrected him at midnight. At midnight, the virgins awoke. Some had the spirit, and some were like. So if the cry is made at midnight, will we come out of sleep? Spiritually resurrected? Alive? Awake, full of the Spirit of God, so that then we can partake in the true spiritual resurrection of the return of Christ and of His bride. These, these resurrection scenarios through history and through the Bible are there for us to think about, to cogitate on, and to use in our daily lives to resurrect what should be. Let's go to Jeremiah 9. I've got three or four more here to add to this list. Verse 11, he says, And I will make Jerusalem peace. Just keep a couple. Spread out. And a den of dragons. And I will make the cities of Judah desolate, without an inhabitant. Desolate. Dead. Know what that means? Gone. Dead. Finished. Jerusalem 
the cities of Judah. Who is the wise man that may understand this? This grasping this is a very difficult thing to do. Who will understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the eternal is spoken that he may declare it? For what the land perishes, dead, perish, gone, produces no life. We've got a drought across the country now that is causing the crops to perish. And if the crops perish, people don't eat, they perish. So we're facing some very difficult things right now. The land perishes and is burned up like a wilderness that none passes through. The Eternal says, Because they have forsaken my law, which I have set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, you have walked therein. Then he talks about scattering Israel among the heathen in verse 16. Verse 19, For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded, because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. We're being cast out of our dwellings right now as Americans by the tens and hundreds of thousands by the banks and mortgage companies. And if some still dwell in their houses and the Assyrian and the NATO forces and the coalition against America will kill them or drive them out as well. So everybody is going and the land is perishing. Everything around us, brethren, in this land and on this world is dying. And in fact, if Christ does not intervene and cut it short, he says, no flesh will be saved alive. Everyone dead. Now, does there need to be a resurrection of God's way, of God's truth, keeping his commandments, following his ways? Does there need to be a resurrection of the way of life? Who can bring about that resurrection? Who can repair the breach? The great death between God and man. Who can do that? Only those who are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 61. And here let's go to verse 1. The Spirit of the eternal God is upon me. Because the Eternal has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In other words, people who don't have lives anymore. They're tied up, bound up, in prison, imprisoned in human nature, human life as it is. To proclaim the acceptable year of the eternal and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. To appoint to them that mourn in Zion, in the church. To give to them beauty for ashes. What are ashes? Ashes are when something's all burned up and dead. Whether it be a body incinerated or whether it be charcoal in the fire pit. Burned up, dead, gone. That's the way he looks upon the church and the nation today. The oil of joy from mourning, the garment of praise from the spirit of heaviness. 
that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the eternal, that he might be glorified. So he says in the time of death and destruction in the church and in the nation, he is going to raise up some to bring joy, to bring happiness, to bring peace, to bring understanding. And notice verse 4. And they shall build the waste, the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. So Jerusalem and the cities of Judah have been dead for many generations. They have to be revived. They have to be resurrected. They have to be rebuilt. They have to be there in order for the temple to be defiled, for Jerusalem to be taken over. And then they, who have done that work, will have to plead for safety because Satan's going to be turned loose on it for three and a half years. There's a job to do. We're not just here for our salvation. We're here to be restorers, resurrectors of that which is dead, that which is wrong, and hasn't been now for many, many generations. Notice Ezekiel 36. Getting back to the section just before he begins to talk about the end time church rebuilding the temple. Reestablishing that which has been. Let's see what I want to pick this up. Uh, that verse 8, probably. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall send forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel. For they are at hand to come. He calls on those who are converted here at the end time. To be ready, to be prepared, to take care of those who are at hand to come. The gathering has to occur pretty soon in order to get the temple built and everything that has to be done before the rest of the prophecies can be fulfilled. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. God is not against us, brethren. We are against ourselves. We are against each other. God is not against us. He's for us. And he is going to wipe out our sins, he says, in one day. And turn his face back to us. But he says you've got to seek him with your whole heart first. You've got to resurrect the Spirit of Christ in you. We have to do it in us. Before he will use us to raise up that which has been dead for many generations. Verse 10 I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of them, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be built. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better for you than at your beginnings. And you shall know that I am. So he's going to start a resurrection through the church that's going to spread around the world until all Israel is included. Start small, but eventually includes everyone. Not only all Israel, but we'll see 
humble every day. All people, all nations. He even says one place, Syria, Mysterium, and Israel, be a third, a third, and a third. Closest brothers you get. All races, all peoples. Only one is Christ. Now you talk about a restoration of spirit, a restoration of God's mind within the whole world. How many people, how many nations, how many ethnic groups are trying to cleanse each other today? That is, clean the earth of them. Kill them all. Destroy them all. We've got the whole Muslim world wants to kill all Americans for great safety. There are so many people around this world who hate their neighbors, who want to destroy their neighbors. Satan is the destroyer. Satan is the accuser. Satan is the one who wants to get rid of the church, get rid of you, and get rid of me. The only thing that's going to prevent that is the resurrection of the Spirit of God within us. That's the only thing that we're going to prevent. God tells us he will fight Satan. There's that why three in fact. I think we're part of that group right there. God is going to stand up for us against Satan. This thing is going to come out right in the long run. And he'll settle us after our own sins. Verse 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwell in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Then walk according to God's spirit in his way. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. I poured my fury upon them. Verse 19, I scattered them. Let's see. He talks about us for fainting. But then he says he will change it. Verse 24, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols, but I cleanse you. That's a baptism of sorts, isn't it? And he called us ahead of time. He brought us to baptism. And then he gave us the Spirit. And we're supposed to walk in that Spirit. And we're supposed to be here to restore and to repair the breach of many generations. That's what we're called to do, to perform a resurrection, as you will. What the peace of trumpets is about. But the resurrection has to start with each and every last one of us. And renew, restore, repair, resurrect the Spirit of God on earth. One person at a time. And if we do that, we will repair the breaches and help with others. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, a heart of flesh doesn't mean a heart of mind. It means a heart and an attitude of caring and of loving and of giving and of helping, instead of honesty. Cold, hard, locked, so That's the kind of spirit we have to have. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn and will increase it, and I hope I have upon you. Overseeing come on this country with us, it will do what's right. We'll go away, and blessing will be restored. Verse 32, not for your sakes do I, this says the eternal, be it known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. He's doing it for his glory. And to increase his house, and to make us his sons and daughters, and the bride of his son. Most of the city for and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate on the side of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the eternal, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the eternal, have spoken it, and I will do it. We can't do this on our own. We can't even have the territory in which it has to be done on our own. God will run people out. God will turn it over to us. He will give us instruction on what to do and how to do it. <coughs> and if we provide the Spirit of God with us, He will use us. No need to do this. For the rest of Israel and ultimately for all the world. We are not sitting here just waiting until the resurrection of the Peace of Congress. We already have a job before us a restoring, a resurrection, a renewing. That's all we're here for. So we need to take personal responsibility on that and be sure the Spirit of God lives within us. And then it's renewed day by day. Verse 38 is the holy flock, is the flock of Jerusalem, and her solemn feasts, and we're here on one today. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the eternal. God will be resurrected in their lives. God will be renewed in their lives. And they'll understand and they'll know. Acts 3, 19 and 21. Talk about the time of restitution of all things. The restoring, the resurrection of the way of God. It died out not long after Luke wrote the book of Acts. It was renewed through her brother's strong, and it's nearly died out. Now God has called you with me to Zion, I believe, to Jerusalem. We'll cover that in detail. And I do believe. That if we conform with his health, the resurrection in our lives to this evening, true spiritual maturity, he will use us to help resurrect the whole world. So let's take these accounts personally, not just an idea, not just something off in the future for Christ returns. Yes, there is that. And that certainly is going to be a glorious day when this spirit within us reaches full maturity were changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye 
And then we don't only have the spirit, but we are spirit. So that's the ultimate fulfillment. But in the meantime, we're supposed to be, are we not? I think Christ, every one of us. He is everything, and we're supposed to become like him. So it's not one or two or five, there are types of Christ, every one of us all. And we're supposed to come to think and look and act like it. That's a tall order. But resurrection is not an easy thing, is it? There were those who questioned. Well then, how does God resurrect? How is it, how could this be possible? I've seen dead, dead is dead. Here's pretty final, doesn't it? I said, you don't have to know the method. You don't have to know all the detail. Just believe it. Believe God can do it. Believe God will do it. And then go to work. And raise yourself up to walk in the life of his path. And then he will do the final work and give you the spirit body in that big resurrection. So let's take it personal. Let's understand that to be in that resurrection, there has to be a resurrection and a restoral of the spirit and a restoral of the way of God. And since the rest of the church is dying, we might as well, instead of dying with them, take personal responsibility and have the life.